Hey, welcome to the Holistic Beauty Podcast. We are licensed naturopathic doctors practicing in sunny California, and we are changing how skincare is looked at. We want you to understand that skin health is a manifestation of balance from within. So each week, we'll be bringing you tidbits to complete your skincare routine from the inside out and the outside in. So let's get into it. Hey guys, even though we are doctors, we're not your doctor. So we want you to know that this podcast and the information on here is not medical advice. It is not meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any conditions or disease. And it's only meant for education, okay? So always speak to your doctor or licensed healthcare provider before starting anything new. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Holistic Beauty Podcast, guys. So this is going to be part two of the deep dive. This is two of two on rosacea. So last week we spoke about the conventional approach to rosacea, and today we're going to be talking about the naturopathic approach. I'm really stoked about this. So we're going to be talking about diet and rosacea, the gut skin access and rosacea. And we're also going to be talking about some subs, some botanicals, and also talking about some other things that might be used for rosacea. So should we get into it? Yes, let's do it. Cool. So let's just do a quick recap. Mm -hmm. Not sure if you listened to episode, the last episode. (laughs) I was about to say episode one, part one of the rosacea. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) But rosacea, we're just going to talk about it. So like it's a chronic relapsing inflammatory skin condition. And it's usually um, when people experience like some sensitive skin, flushing, um, central facial redness with papules and pustules. And um, they could also experience like thickening of the skin. So like hyperplasia of the sebaceous glands. And we spoke about this earlier in the last episode. The goal with treatment for rosacea is going to be identifying, eliminating the contributing factors if possible. And then there's also going to be some things that can be done to really quell or reduce the inflammation that's going on in the skin. But from a naturopathic perspective, we really want to identify some like food allergies and intolerances and also treat some things with the gut. Yes. Big gut skin connection there. Mm -hmm. And then this is something that I actually didn't know until you told me today, my friend. There's like certain conditions that are like that happen alongside rosacea. This is really interesting. Yeah, I actually didn't know this either until we started doing research for this episode. Yeah. But there's some comorbidities. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, so like there's going to be like heart disease, like what? Yeah. Uh, metabolic issues, like a blood sugar issues, I assume. Diabetes. Um, Yeah. And then like depression, anxiety is linked with it. Kind of makes sense, you know, like Mm -hmm. people um, experiencing redness and flushing and how can like make them embarrassed. And they kind of just like, they don't want to see people sometimes because of it. But it's also been linked to migraines. That's really interesting because we do know there's this like histamine thing going on. (gasps) We'll talk about that soon in this episode, just let you know. But like, I'm kind of like nerding out already. And it's also linked to dementia, interestingly enough. Yeah, that was interesting. I was like, dementia and rosacea. Yeah. And then we also spoke about this gastrointestinal issues like IBD. We spoke about that last episode, but also linked to H. pylori infection, which Mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about today. And it's also linked to autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Like, honestly, I did not know. Like, that's just so cool. You just don't think about that because you think of rosacea, you're like, all right, just the skin. But again, actually, this was from Dynamed, which is a clinical database that I use. Mm -hmm. And when I looked up rosacea, it was like they talked about comorbidities, but also this is a there's clinical studies, like research looking at this, too, which Mm -hmm. is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because it kind of goes to show you like how the skin is really like a reflection of what's going on from within, you know, like your skin is trying to tell you there's some sort of imbalance and like all of these other conditions are like happening alongside it, which is interesting. But Let's dive into like diet and rosacea. Let's do this. Yeah, let's go because, uh, you know, lifestyle, including diet, is the foundation of health. Yes. But 
even skin health. Like yes. this is what I tell all my patients, especially like my acne patients. But I mean, it's the same for other skin conditions like rosacea in this case too. Mm-hmm. So we know that certain types of foods are triggers for people with rosacea. So mm-hmm. this includes heated beverages like coffee and tea, alcohol, including wine, beer, hard liquor, capsation related foods. So spices and cayenne, red pepper, hot sauce, and cinnamaldehyde containing foods like cinnamon, tomato, citrus, and chocolate, which is interesting because you wouldn't think those are related, but all of them have this cinnamaldehyde. Yeah. Another thing that's interesting is that foods high in histamine may also be a trigger for rosacea. And we know that foods that are high in histamine include aged cheese, sauerkraut, wine, and processed meat. And histamine can cause vasodilation, which is basically where your blood vessels dilate or open Mm up, expand, tissue swelling, and an immune response or inflammation. So there is this enzyme called diamine oxidase. This enzyme breaks down histamine in the body. And when we don't have this, then histamine may accumulate in the body and can result in symptoms of Mm hyperreactivity. So foods that are high in histamine also contain chemicals called sulfites and tyramine. Interesting. So it's actually kind of like is it like one of those chemicals or is it the histamine that's actually triggering the rosacea flare-ups in some of these individuals? So it's like, we don't really know, but I mean, it kind of like empowers you like with all this like extra information, you know, like Mm -hmm. understanding like, Oh, is it the histamines or the sulfites, the tyramines? Like it's hard to say, but like, honestly, like when I think of sulfites and tyramines, I think of like, you know, wine and cheese. Yes. Those are the big things that come to my mind too. Mm -hmm. And I mean like, Hey, why not try cutting them out and seeing how you feel? Yeah. Well, actually, interestingly enough, you found this study that looked at 400 patients and 78% of these people chose to change their diet to avoid rosacea flare-ups. And of those 78%, 95% of those people had less flare-ups after changing their diet. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And it's like, it just goes to show you how important changing your diet is for rosacea because I know diet changes can be so hard, but with rosacea, we know that it can help improve symptoms of rosacea. So it's like, why not just remove it temporarily, especially while we are fixing your gut? Yeah. And like, you also found another study that like spoke about like how much fatty food someone's eating or like how much dairy. Oh yeah. This was interesting. It was like a multi-centered case control study and they took a bunch of people and with rosacea. Yeah. With (laughs) just (laughs) Yes, important. With rosacea. And they looked at what they were eating two years before the rosacea occurred. They saw that when somebody was eating a lot of fatty foods, it was positively correlated with thematotelangiatic rosacea. Dang. And then it was also (laughs) correlated with um, phimatous rosacea. We spoke about these different types in part one. Go to the last week's episode if you want to learn more about erythematotelangiatic and um, the phimatous rosacea. But tea was also associated with uh, rosacea as well. And in in regards to dairy products, according to the study, it showed um, significant negative correlation with rosacea. See, this is where I was like, oh, because in the first part of this deep dive, Dr. Bryant mentioned that or he found, was it guidelines? Yes, yeah, so it was from the um, AAFP that basically said 8% of individuals who with rosacea who eat dairy experiences a flare-up in symptoms. So, But that 8% is really small, you know? So then this study showed that dairy product intake um, was actually negatively correlated with rosacea. So it's like kind of shows you how like some people experience flare-ups with dairy, some others don't. So it's like it might be worth somebody's while to really like do a diary and like try to figure out like what's causing or triggering their rosacea, you know? 
Yeah, and then they also found that sweet foods, spicy foods, and coffee had no association with any subtype of rosacea. But here's the thing, here's the thing. We got to remember, this was looking at the feeding frequency two years prior to the occurrence Uh, of rosacea. Yes. So I'm wondering if... Now those people with rosacea... Yeah, now when they eat those foods... Do they experience flare-ups? Yeah. Interesting, okay. And then here's another interesting thing about why certain foods trigger rosacea. Mm Mm-hmm. So we know that hot temperatures can trigger vasodilation, which is basically where your blood vessels open up or dilate in order to help your body release heat. What's interesting is that there are actually certain channels in our skin cells and our nerve cells called transient receptor potential channels, (laughs) TRP. Love it. Yes. So these channels release a chemical called substance P and calcitonin-related peptide. Basically, these substances are released, or these chemicals are released when activated, and this results in an inflammatory response and dilation of those blood vessels and flushing. So it's pretty interesting, and we know that there are actually certain foods besides hot temperatures that can activate these channels. So it includes spicy foods, hot drinks, obviously with the hot temperature, vanilla, cinnamon, caffeine, alcohol, and UV radiation. Vanilla? Vanilla. Oh, I, I love know. vanilla. Yes. Uh, but we also mentioned this in the first part of the deep dive. If you're unsure of food triggers for your rosacea, start a food diary to mm-hmm. keep track. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, everybody's triggers are very personal and very unique to their own skin journey, you know? Yeah. So beyond food, we know that there's this gut-skin connection with rosacea. So Dr. Bryant, tell us a little more about this. Yeah, so like we spoke about in the first episode of this deep dive, certain conditions have been associated with rosacea. So one study showed that gut conditions um, such as uh, IBD conditions like celiac uh, disease and other IBD conditions and H. pylori infection, SIBO and IBS were more prevalent in individuals with rosacea when compared to control subjects. And this was actually in um, Danish population. And then we also spoke about how the skin microbiome is really important, but this is like, you know, Whenever I think about like the gut, I think about the microbiome. And then when I think about the microbiome, I think about all about, I think everything <laughs> microbiome. But in regards to the skin microbiome, um, we spoke about this in the, in the first episode that there's a mite that has been linked to rosacea because it's naturally found in like the oil glands. And then what studies are also showing is that there could be like this bacterial component that hitches a ride with the mites that could be actually activating the immune system and playing a role in development of the redness that people experience with rosacea. And there's also going to be like this gut microbiome thing. This is what we actually want to talk about, not the skin microbiome. (laughs) So I just spoke about this in episode one, but we want to do a deeper dive on this in this episode. So there's going to be H. pylori infection and also small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So you want to take this one, my friend? Yeah, sure. So H. pylori infection, we know that studies show that there is a high frequency of this infection in patients with rosacea. And this bacteria is actually associated with chronic gastritis, which is just inflammation of the gut, stomach ulcers, and even stomach cancer. And studies show that when you eradicate H. pylori, then symptoms of rosacea improve, which is really cool. So we don't really know the exact mechanism of how H. pylori affects rosacea, but here are some theories according to studies. So 
the first one is that H. pylori triggers this inflammatory response. And then another one is it has a systemic effects because it increases the permeability in the gut mucosal lining and ultimately triggers that inflammatory response or the immune response. So there are some natural treatments that we have used Mm -hmm. with patients. And I mean like, or I guess more integrative treatments, you could say. So do you want to kind of go over how you approach? Yeah, we could touch base on that. Yeah. Yeah, so in regards to integrative medicine, we spoke about this so many times on this podcast. It's really understanding both sides of the coin, natural and conventional. But yeah, in regards to conventional treatment for H. pylori, it's going to be triple antibiotic therapy with some sort of business sulfate. And then in regards to um, natural options, um, studies show that mastic gum may be helpful. Certain types of zincs might be helpful as well. In my practice, I've used um, a combination of botanicals to help out um, with H. pylori, some antimicrobial botanicals that are mixed with like zinc and then also using a thing called DGL. Do you use DGL at all? Yeah, I've used it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It basically acts as like this uh, lovely coating on the stomach to like help out with the symptoms of burning that people can experience with H. pylori. And then there's also going to be SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Science shows that there's definitely a link um, between rosacea and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So science says that um, patients with rosacea were 13 times more likely to have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth than control patients and. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then according to the study that you found, eradication of SIBO with rifaximin, which is like a type of um, antibiotic that's commonly used for SIBO, led to significant regression of skin lesions in almost all patients. That is really interesting. Yeah. And then there's some theories of mechanism. So in regards to bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine, there could be like this inflammatory response that's triggered by cytokines, such as a TNF-alpha or tumor necrosis factor alpha. And then SIBO may also alter the immune system and triggering rosacea by augmentation of other cytokines that basically suppress like IL-17 and stimulate the TH1 immune response. But then there are also other gut conditions that have been linked to rosacea, right, Dr. Merla? Yeah, inflammatory bowel disease. This includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. So one study actually showed that there was a threefold increased risk of rosacea in patients with IBD compared to those without IBD. Threefold? That's like... Three times, 300 times, that's or 300%. Big. That's big. Mm-hmm. And then the degree of IBD severity or irritable bowel disease severity was actually positively correlated with the severity of rosacea. Interesting. So there is this link there, which is pretty interesting. So beyond um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, um, celiac disease has also been linked to rosacea. Um, so there's a Danish study that basically showed that there was an increased risk of new onset IBS and subsequently diagnosed, what is it, celiac yeah. disease in subjects with rosacea. That's really interesting. And for those of you guys who don't celiac disease is it's basically when somebody cannot eat gluten because it triggers an immune response in the gut, like bloody diarrhea in some individuals in severe cases. But yeah, that's really interesting. And then since we're talking about gluten, let's talk about diet and gut health. Yeah. So there are things that we can eat more of in our diet that are going to support the health of our gut and ultimately help with rosacea. So starting with prebiotics and dietary fiber. Prebiotics, if you guys want to know the like definition that's in all the research studies, it's considered a non-digestible food ingredient that selectively stimulates the growth and or activity of beneficial GI microbes. Yeah, that's something I would say. Yeah, that, that does sound like something you would say. But, you know, but to in put so it many in layman words, terms. Yeah, it's like fiber and antioxidant. That's what prebiotics are, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but remember, all prebiotics are fiber, but not all fiber is considered a prebiotic. Oh, yeah, because some fibers are soluble and insoluble, right? Yeah. And we want the soluble fiber. 
I mean, both types of fiber is, are good for gut health, but uh, soluble fiber in particular is the one that's fermented by the beneficial bacteria, which then go on to produce short-chain fatty acids like butyrate. And this is basically fuel for the cells in the large intestine. It's really important for gut health. And we know, thanks to research, that consuming a wide variety of dietary plant fibers in sufficient quantity encourages the growth of a diverse and healthy gut microbiome. So there's a whole bunch of different foods that you can eat that are prebiotics, but just a few examples. There's bananas are prebiotics, oats, sunchokes, or Jerusalem artichokes. Those are actually my favorite prebiotics. They're so yummy. I've never had it. <gasps> oh my gosh. You have to try it. You have to go get some. I don't even know how to cook it. Well, there's Send me a recipe. Yeah, I will show you. I've like roasted it before, just like pan fried it. Uh, my mom, actually, when I was home, my mom calls them pig potatoes. Was this on the farm? No, no. <laughs> Not on the farm, but she threw a pig potato in my grandpa's garden uh -huh. and then it grew like crazy. And now my grandpa calls them crazy, crazy potatoes, <laughs> even though they're not potatoes. But other examples of prebiotics are onions, beans. And yeah, I mean, there's so many more. Yeah. And like I'm thinking about like the study that I'm, that I read. The 30 that, plants. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the actual name of the study, but what the study basically showed was that eating 30 different plants a week could potentially support a healthy and diverse gut microbiome and plants um, that's going to be like fruits, vegetables, but also herbs and spices. And like, it's really fun to like count how many plants you eat in a week. And mm -hmm. what I usually do to just like make things so easy is that I make like smoothies in the morning, just throw a bunch of plants in there. And one time I had like 21 different plants. That's awesome. I know. I'm just like, oh, cool. I only have to eat nine other plants this week and I'm done. <laughs> And it's only a Monday. Work smarter, <laughs> not harder. Exactly. And then probiotics are also really important, right? Yes. Science shows that probiotics may also play a role. So for those of you guys who know what a probiotic is, it's basically a live organism. Basically, when somebody takes it, it provides a positive benefit, health benefit to the host, so like us, basically. So in so many words, it's beneficial bacteria. And science says that clinical trials are actually lacking, but there's some research that suggests potential mechanisms behind the benefits of probiotics for so it could shift the composition of gut bacteria um, to counter pathogenic bacteria, like um, H. pylori that we spoke about. And then studies also show that probiotics may have an anti-inflammatory effect by alleviating, are you ready for this, alleviating T-cell-mediated skin inflammation. But that was found in um, animal studies. And then there's also going to be uh, in vitro incubation of metabolites from particular probiotic strains that have um, been shown to prevent both unprompted and stress-induced ROS formation, Reactive. reactive oxygen species yeah. formation, free radicals. And then probiotics bacteria may also impact the skin barrier. So there's this one randomized control trial that showed that the use of an oral probiotic resulted in improvement in skin barrier and reduced skin sensitivity in human subjects. So that's always cool. Really cool. And like Dr. Bryant said, the research looking at rosacea and probiotics is limited. There's really not a lot. But what's interesting is that most studies looking at the benefits of probiotics for rosacea show that these benefits are not sustained once you stop taking probiotics. Interesting. And also we need more research looking at the effects of the different strains of probiotics because there's so many different strains. Yeah. But for example, there was a randomized controlled trial that found lactobacillus ruteri to be an effective adjunctive treatment with triple therapy for H. pylori. Mm -hmm. And this improved the eradication rate by more than 8% and also reduced the side effects when compared to placebo. So that's, that's really kind of cool. neat. Yeah. yeah. And then we also have bacillus subtilis. 
is also an efficacious in the treatment of H. pylori, which is kind of cool. And we know that H. pylori is one of those underlying causes or a condition associated with rosacea. Mm-hmm. So, and But I if mean, somebody doesn't want to take probiotics, are there some food things they can take? Yeah, focusing on fermented foods like mm-hmm. yogurt, kefir, miso, kimchi, and sauerkraut are all great. They have naturally... Occurring bacteria because they're fermented. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. But just thinking about this too, and if someone does have SIBO, you don't want to take a probiotic because yeah. it may worsen. Yeah, so I remember reading a study that showed that probiotics may actually worsen some gastrointestinal symptoms um, in individuals who have SIBO. So it might be worth it. Well, it would be worth somebody's while to really speak to their provider before really like trying these like new supplements, you know. But like in regards to like other supplements, there's also zinc and like omega-3 fatty acids that could help out with rosacea. So we know that zinc is so important for um, optimal immune resiliency and optimal immune function. And it's actually really interesting because the results are contradictory. Yes. So in one double-blind randomized controlled trial, they didn't see significant improvement in rosacea in those taking zinc sulfate compared to placebo. And then another study that showed that 100 milligrams of zinc sulfate uh, three times a day for six months significantly improved rosacea scores. And they concluded it was a good treatment for rosacea. So that's kind of confusing. Yeah, but both of these studies, again, like they use zinc sulfate. And one study just kind of mentioned that according to a nutritionist, they said that zinc sulfate is water soluble and not absorbed well by the body. Mm-hmm. So it would be better to use zinc picolinate as it's the best form that's um, absorbed by the body easier than zinc sulfate. That's interesting. So, I guess it depends on like how you're trying to use the zinc because like we spoke about how the changes to the skin microbiome uh, mm-hmm. with like mites and like uh, what is it the bacteria associated with mites could potentially play a role in rosacea. But then, yeah. then also like gut microbiome changes um, could potentially play a role in rosacea. And I guess like with zinc, if you absorb it, it would help out the skin microbiome changes and it could potentially help out with gut changes. But like water soluble one might be more helpful for gut changes i don't know i don't know i don't know either i mean i was just like thinking out loud (laughs) i mean again like there needs to be more studies it'd be cool yeah to see that yeah instead of guessing we want more science yes and then there's omega-3 fatty acids so um, there's uh, different types of omega-3s. So there's going to be EPA, DHA, and ALA. And EPA and DHA are anti-inflammatory at the end of the day. Um, and they basically inhibit pro-inflammatory pathways. And again, with this, there's uh, limited research, much like with zinc. But one randomized controlled trial found a statistically significant improvement in subjects with dry eye symptoms, um, some of whom had rosacea. So that's really cool. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then there's some botanicals for rosacea, which actually... <laughs> When I say some, there's only a few that are supported by research. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them I've actually never heard of. And I didn't learn in school, which was interesting. So the first one is Quassia amara. This common name is amargo or bitter ash. Mm-hmm. And there was a single center open label study where they took subjects with rosacea of varying severity. Mm-hmm. And they gave them a topical preparation of this botanical. It was like a 4% extract with this herb. And mm-hmm. it was a gel. So they had them apply it for six weeks. And it showed a reduction in the appearance of telangiectasia in addition to completely resolving their postular and papular lesions. That's really cool. How cool cool is that? Yeah, and 
I'm looking at the study right now, and I basically said the results were comparable to the efficacy yeah. of first-line topical treatments. That's really effing cool. Yeah, metronidazole and azelaic acid. Yeah. So it's pretty neat that this botanical is just as effective, it seems like, as one of these first-line treatments. Yeah, and then there's another one. It's going to be golden chamomile. And this was a huge study. It was 246 subjects with moderately severe rosacea, and they compared the use of golden chamomile 1% cream to placebo, and it showed a statistically significant improvement in overall rosacea severity compared to baseline and placebo. That's really cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then lastly, we have uh, epigallocatechin gallate. Girl, I just say EGCG. <laughs> there is so much easier. EGCG. This is found in green tea, guys. This is a phytochemical present in green tea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems pretty promising in preventing telangiectasias. Okay, so this study was actually, it was small. It was only with four subjects. So yeah. I would love to see more science in the future, but it's actually, like we said, pretty promising. So in these four subjects with uh, telangiectasias and erythema of redness, they applied an EGCG cream, which is 2.5%, to one half of the face and controlled cream to the other half of the face. And they didn't really see a clinical improvement in active telangiectasias, but they did see changes to biochemistry that plays a role in rosacea. So they saw significant suppression of uh, vascular endothelial growth factor, or VEGF. They also saw a reduction in hypoxia-inducible factor, 1-alpha. I mean, like what I said, these have been shown to uh, be um, overactive in individuals with rosacea. So that's really cool. Yeah. I would love to see more science. Me too. Mm-hmm. I love green tea. So, I mean, applying it topically, sure, why not? Yeah. And we know it's rich in antioxidants too, which is great. Yeah. And then we already spoke about this in part one, which <laughs> I'll also speak about it here in part two, skincare and rosacea. That's the reason why you want to listen to us, right? So in regards to skincare and rosacea, um, general measures are going to be maintaining the integrity of the skin and avoiding agents that cause inflammation, flushing, or irritation. And a regimen um, could include gentle cleansers, moisturizers, and cosmetics. But there's like some details that we want to speak about in regards to all these things. So gentle cleansers, my friend. So in gentle cleansers, obviously you want to use a non-irritating soap-free cleanser and don't do any abrasive materials or don't use them like, uh, you know, don't scrub your face hard with like a washcloth or like... No apricot scrubs? No, please avoid those. (laughs) Do not do that. (laughs) And then when you're drying your face, blot, don't rub with a soft towel. And what's interesting is I found that it's actually from Dynamite, I think. They said to wait up to 30 minutes before applying topical medications or products. Interesting. Which I don't really know the details of why. I'm assuming... It could be that it could lead to deeper penetration of product for those 30 minutes. Oh, okay. That Mm -hmm. would make sense. That Mm -hmm. would make sense. And then adding on to that, they also recommended reducing your wait time to apply products by five minutes every day until you determine the minimum waiting time that works for your skin. That doesn't, you know, result in irritations or any flare-ups. Interesting. Yeah. And then for moisturizers, using a non-oily moisturizer, which I thought was interesting because we know that there's a skin barrier dysfunction with rosacea so i mean i'm a big fan of oils it's just using the right oils but this is what dynamite said yeah so, conventional approach which we can sometimes follow to because we're using an integrative approach so i'm using a non-oily moisturizer and if you have ocular rosacea or you're experiencing the like dry eyes or gritty sensation with your eyes they also recommend using artificial tears just to help you know, provide the symptom relief. 
And then there's also like cosmetics. So like in regards yes. to cosmetics, green or yellow tinted products may reduce the appearance of redness. But in regards to cosmetics, there are some things that are really important to avoid, such as sodium lauryl sulfate, strong fragrances, fruit acids, or glycolic acids, because like these will definitely irritate the skin, you know. And then also avoid products that cause burning, stinging, itching, or other discomfort. So please patch test your cosmetics. That's going to be really, really important. But some examples are going to be like skin tonics, toners, astringents with alcohol, menthol, which is like mint basically like peppermint um camphor um witch hazel or eucalyptus oil and then use brushes over sponges and that's to avoid abrasion and for easy cleaning i wonder how often should somebody clean their brushes what would you say weekly perfect Clean your brushes weekly, according to Dr. Merwillam. <laughs> and then there's a really good regimen example. Um, so in the morning, um, rinse with tepid water or with like a, a very gentle cleanser. And then hydrate with a low pH mist that contains anti-inflammatory herbs, possibly. And then apply an antioxidant serum of some sort. And then moisturize with an oil-rich and fatty acids to support the lipid barrier because we do know that there's a skin barrier dysfunction that's taking place with rosacea. And then SPF. SPF is so important. SPF, because we know that UV radiation is one of the main triggers for rosacea. Mm-hmm. And then at night, pretty similar. Yeah. Cleanse with a gentle cleanser or use oil-based cleanser. Just avoid soap because we know that can dry out the skin. Hydrate, again, using a more acidic sort of toner or mist that has anti-inflammatory properties. Again, this is because we know that the skin has that pH between 4 to 6. So it's more on the acidic side. And this is just going to support the skin barrier because there's that acidic component. And then opting for a moisturizer, maybe one rich in probiotics. That would be awesome. And a gentle retinol. If your skin is really sensitive, only start using this once a week and then gradually increase. But ideally use this every three to four nights. And you can also skin cycle too, which is, this is actually something that I learned from Dr. Whitney Bowe's books and great resources on our website. This is a skincare routine for nighttime only. And it's basically where you cycle through different products. So you're not using a retinol product every night. For example, night one is exfoliation night with chemical exfoliants like AHAs and BHAs. And then night two, you're using a gentle retinol product. And then night three and four is recovery. So this is a time when you are avoiding actives and you're using products that are moisturizing and nourishing. So this include prebiotic and probiotics, fatty acids, hyaluronic acid, niacinamide. And then lastly, at night, finish off with a moisturizer that's rich in fatty acids. Interesting. But for someone with rosacea and the skin cycling, you might want to avoid exfoliation night with the chemical exfoliants because that could be too irritating for the skin. Wow, I love this. Skincare is so important, guys. We're looking at the skin barrier. I really think that the foundations of somebody's skincare routine should just be like skin barrier focused, you know, and like really trying to work with the provider who's going to really just like guide you along to see what products could possibly be less irritating to the skin, especially if you do have rosacea. But yeah, that's basically our episode. This is part two of two of Rosacea Deep Dive. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. Thanks, guys. This was fun. So make sure to connect with us on Instagram. Our Instagram handles will be in the podcast description. Our websites will also be in the podcast description as well if you do want to see us. But make sure to subscribe, follow us on social media. And if you found this podcast helpful, make sure to share with your friends and family. And next week, we have an interview with the founder of Wabi Sabi. Yes. Her name is Elise Crabtree. I'm really excited about this. So make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on that one. It's going to be a really fun episode. But thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye.